Yeah, thanks, Ross, for leading us in that prayer. And uh, it's always good for us to be here. We do enjoy coming back to Airdrie uh, as and when. So uh, thanks always for the invitations uh, to us. I know we don't need an invitation to come, but it's, uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure to be here. Our scripture reading is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. And we'll read the first nine verses. If you're looking at a church Bible and are helped by the page number, then it's 742, 742 in the church Bible. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to that reading of his word. Well, on this Mother's Day, I thought we should think together about our relationship with our father. And uh, if that sounds a wee bit Irish, I have no Irish blood in me, whatever. No offense to those of you who are Irish. I know you can't help that, but uh, it's, uh, it's, good. it's good for us to think about this in particular, our relationship with our heavenly father although maybe some of us are challenged today to think not only about our relationship uh, with our mothers, but our relationship with our fathers as well. But I'm thinking about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. What does it mean to be in relationship with God? Just like human relationships, our relationship with God can vary in intensity and also be slightly different from person to person because each of us is unique 
and we have a unique relationship with God, though that will always be focused through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. He is the only way into relationship with God for each of us. But that relationship that we have with the Father will be slightly different from person to person. Uh, let me immediately confess something to you. For most of my Christian life, I have been slightly frustrated, I suppose, wanting more of God, believing there was more to be discovered and experienced in God than, than I had yet known. Uh, having become a Christian in my early teens and uh, leading a fairly up-and-down uh, Christian life uh, for a number of years, and then coming to a place of fresh and wholehearted commitment to the Lord, and then response to a call to Christian ministry. And then about 10 years into ministry, I had a very significant and definite experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, now this is it. This is it. This is what I really needed. Now I'll have no more problems, no more failures in my Christian life. This is the life of victory, the life of intimate walking with the Lord. I really thought I had arrived uh, as a believer. But of course, uh, as you can imagine, that actually didn't last too long. I should have known better. I, I should have remembered what uh, the Apostle Paul said. Uh, he said, I, I'm not there yet. I don't count myself to have arrived. But I'm pressing on uh, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. And I, I suppose that was the mark of his life. He never thought, I've got it all. I've got it all together. He was grateful for everything that the Lord had done and was doing in his life for all that the Lord uh, had given to him. But he was always pressing on uh, for more in that walk with the Lord. And uh, we need to be like that as well. So, what I want to say, first of all, is that when we think about intimacy with God, about our relationship with God, the first thing to notice is that desire is the starting point. That's where it begins. Desire is the starting point. One thing I have learned, I believe, is that the desire for more spiritually is a good thing. It is a good thing. Hunger is a good thing when it can be satisfied. It's not a good thing when it's not being satisfied. And of course, there are hundreds of thousands of people around our world living in the distress of serious malnutrition right now. It's not a good thing when it cannot be satisfied, but when it can be satisfied, hunger is really essential to keep us alive. Physically, it's, it's the body telling us when it needs food, when it needs nourishment. And spiritual hunger is a good thing, or even if we change the metaphor to the one that was in our, our reading in Isaiah 55, thirst, spiritual thirst is a good thing. Come all you who are thirsty, says the word. 
come to the waters and drink. And our bodies need water, I suppose, even more than they need food. So thirst is physically, thirst is our low fluid warning. Let it go on, and other signals start to flare in, in our bodies. The, the, the dry mouth, headache, dizziness, all sorts of things before we are then seriously dehydrated. The body is crying out for fluid. In the same way, if we deprive ourselves of spiritual food and water, our soul will tell us. Dried up hearts send out desperate messages. No question about that. We need to drink some life-giving water and eat some soul-nourishing food. Well, where do we find it? Jesus stood up in the temple one day in Jerusalem on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles when the temple area would be absolutely thronged with people. And he shouted out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Hungering and thirsting after God is a good thing because it will be satisfied. Blessed are those, said Jesus, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. <clears throat> Hungering and thirsting takes us deeper into our relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with that. I love the verse in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, which encourages us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. It's a, it's a lovely picture of intimacy, walking with God. In the beginning, you remember when nothing had come in to break man's relationship with God, God walked with him in the garden in the cool of the evening. Intimate, unbroken relationship. I miss not having a dog. Uh, we had Judy uh, for about 16 years while the kids were growing up. Of course, as they got older and left home, mum and dad were left with the dog, weren't we? He, she really had been Gordon's dog, our, our middle uh, son, and he looked after her very well. But after uh, he had been through uni and away from home, the dog was left for mum and dad to look after. And usually it was father who had to walk the dog. Now, that was good, that was good exercise for me. It got me out, hail, rain, or shine. It got me out walking with the dog. It was good exercise for my body, but actually it was also good for my soul because most times I didn't just walk with Judy, but also I often walked with the Lord consciously, uh, speaking to him and trying to listen to what he uh, wanted to say to me. Walking uh, with the Lord is a lovely picture. You maybe heard the story of the man who went regularly for a coffee with Jesus. 
he'd get himself a coffee and two muffins, one for himself and one for the Lord. However, he said quite often Jesus didn't eat his muffin, so he had to have the two. <laughs> That's a good excuse. But isn't that, a lovely, isn't that a lovely thought to actually have a coffee with Jesus? You know, why not do that? Maybe, maybe many of you already do it. Sit down in the morning if you have the space and time, have a coffee and just sit there with Jesus, talking to him and listening to him. This is the intimacy of our, intimacy of our relationship. When, well, of course, when you're enjoying the Lord's presence, you don't always need to talk. Just be there with him as he is with you. Just be thinking about him. Maybe, maybe there are situations that you're in where you're conscious of the Lord's presence, but you can't possibly talk to him right then because you're in a busy meeting at work or, or you're trying to calm an irate client or customer or you've got a huge uh, assignment to finish for school or college or university. But just, just remember, he's there. Just catch a sideways glance to Jesus. And actually, even just doing that probably helps you not to say stuff that you shouldn't be saying and uh, doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing. Walking with the Lord day by day and indeed hour by hour within the day. So desire is the starting point. We need to want that. And then the second thing to notice is that trust is an absolute necessity if we're talking about intimacy with God. Trust is an absolute necessity. Because when you think about it, what is it that makes us feel intimate with another person? It's not just that they're good-looking. Relationship might start there, but that's actually not at all what holds a relationship together. What is it? There are different kinds of close relationship, but I think common to all of them is trust. If we don't trust the other person, we will never have a close friendship or an intimate relationship with them. We might have an acquaintance with them, but we will never have a close friendship unless there is mutual trust. A couple who are distant from each other can go for a fancy candlelit dinner. It might be very romantic. It might be a good occasion, but it won't actually achieve anything in deepening their broken relationship unless trust is restored again. The atmosphere of the occasion no matter how romantic it might be, has no power to bridge the distance between two people long-term if they don't actually trust each other. Trust is vital in any intimate relationship, and only, only restoring the trust will restore the relationship. And so intimacy with God and our relationship with God depends on our trusting Him. Absolutely. And that's why sometimes people who may be going through the most 
horrendous and challenging situations actually find their relationship with God is growing closer because they're being enabled to trust him even when things look black and difficult. They know the Lord is there. They know the Lord is with them. They know that they are walking with him. And that trust is just so deep and real that it enables the relationship to remain strong even when lots of things seem to be coming against it. So desire is a starting point. Trust is an absolute necessity. But all sorts of things can militate against our relationship with God. I mean, the noisiness and busyness of life can do that for many of us. But I think the most dangerous thing of all is pride. Pride is the greatest enemy of intimacy. That's probably true at the human level, and it certainly is true at the spiritual level. How does pride show itself? Well, it shows itself in the need to be in control. If we're going to walk with God, we need to surrender to him in trust. But most of us want to stay in charge, don't we? We want to stay in charge of our lives and of what's going on. And some of us want to stay in charge of other people's lives as well, our partner's life. And that's where issues come. But back of the need to be in control, I think, is the problem of pride. The story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 is a good illustration of this. Verse 1 of chapter 5 tells us that Naaman was a very important man in his country. He was an army commander. Therefore, he was used to giving orders. He liked to be in control. That's certainly a hint for us of what goes on later in that incident with Naaman in 2 Kings 5. The need to be in control is sometimes how pride shows itself and it breaks relationships and it breaks our relationship uh, or at least it uh, weakens our relationship with God the Father. Another thing might be the exaltation of the mind. I think that comes out of pride as well because we, we, we want rational answers. We want explanations for everything. But why do we imagine that we're going to be able always to understand or explain what God is doing? Why should we be able to do that? We are the creatures. He's the creator. And in verse 11 of that 2 Kings 5 passage, Naaman says, I thought, I thought, that the man of God would surely come out to me, wave his hand over me, and have a bit of a performance. I thought. But Naaman, what you thought in that situation is not in the least important. God says, as we read it, my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
And Paul said, my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, not what we think, but on God's power. What does God think? What does God say about this? And so the third thing that can be an issue here, and also I think is a sign of pride in ourselves, is when we try to set the terms with God. And that's exactly what Naaman tried to do. In uh, verse 12, he, well, the word tells us, let me just read it, I thought that he would surely come out. This is Elisha. He'd gone to see Elisha. Elisha didn't even come to see him. Elisha sent his servant, a messenger, to tell Naaman what to do. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, make a bit of an issue of it, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. And then he says, Are not the rivers Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? You see, he's setting the terms with God. He would much rather, if he'd had to do it, he would much rather have done it in Aram, back in his home town, home country. He would much rather have told God how to do this. Have you never tried to do that? I think I have. Thought, Lord, if only you would do this, that would be, that'd be fine, that'd be great. Why don't, you, why don't you do this? But my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. We cannot set the terms with God. Many of us, I suppose, are Frank Sinatra's. I'll do it my way is our motto, or I did it my way. We always want God to work our way. And you see, some demanding task would have satisfied Naaman's pride if he'd been given some really big task to do in order to gain his healing. That would have satisfied his pride. But God wanted humility and vulnerability. The man of God didn't even come out to speak to him. So eventually, Naaman, because of the wisdom of his servants, not because of his own good sense, but because of the wisdom of his servants who persuaded him, if you'd been asked to do some big thing, you'd have done it. Why not just do this very simple thing? Go and wash in the Jordan like you've been told to do. Eventually, Naaman goes down to the Jordan. I mean, you can imagine the situation. He's been told to dip himself seven times in the Jordan for his healing. You can imagine, he goes in once, and he maybe goes in twice, and he's maybe starting to say to himself, well, nothing has happened yet. I'll, I'll give it one more go. He goes in a third time. Maybe he thinks, well, okay, one more time. And what's going, what's going through his head now? I, I imagine, I don't know this because it's not in the Scripture, but I imagine he's saying something to himself like, I'm making a complete fool of myself here. I'm absolutely making a fool of myself in front of my servants. You know, he's, 
He's, he's probably semi-naked at this point. He's got all his outer clothing off. Maybe some of his servants are seeing the full extent of his leprosy for the very first time. And Naaman's thinking, what an embarrassment this is. What a fool I'm making of myself. He was being humbled. He was becoming vulnerable. And after the seventh time, he was healed, just like God had said. What a fool he would have been if he'd stopped after three or four or five or even six times. We need to trust God and obey him. Trust and obey, as the old hymn, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. See, we could, we could dance up and down these aisles. We could attend every Bible study that we could possibly find. We could go to every conference that was, that was laid on anywhere and still not be developing in our relationship with the Father if we are being deliberately disobedient in some area of our lives, if we're not doing what God has told us to do. If we think somehow we know better than him or we can kind of manage it a wee bit easier for ourselves. Then the intimacy of our relationship with the Father begins to break down. And here's the final thing I want to say. Not only that we have to be aware of pride always getting in the way, but this final thing, we need to seek the Lord for himself for himself. We need to desire the giver more than the gifts he might give. We need to seek the Lord for himself and not for what he might do for us or give to us. John Arnott, who for many years was the pastor of the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, uh, now simply known as uh, Catch the Fire, but uh, he presided there over a remarkable move of God that has gone on for the last 23 years and still going. And John Arnott tells of a time when God spoke to him very clearly about this. God said to him, he believes, many of my people have married me for my money. Not a funny thing for God to say. not in the language of the authorized version. Many people have married me for my money. I think that, that's what makes it authentic for me. Why would God speak to us in 17th century language today? If he's speaking into our hearts, if he's saying something to you, he'll be, he'll be using language that you easily understand. Well, John Arnott says, when he heard that, believing it to be the voice of the Lord to him, he says, I wept and wept as I realized how much my love had been covered love. Lord, I'm so sorry, he said. I don't just want your stuff, I want you. I want intimacy and relationship with you 
not just being involved in what's happening on the Christian scene. I want intimate relationship with you. And he realized it was going to be based on humility and vulnerability and trust. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a lovely thing to be able to rest in the arms of the Lord. Many of you will know the Father's love letter in which every statement of that letter is based directly on Scripture, on what the Father says to us in His Word. I'm going to read just the first part of it to you. And just hear the Lord speaking. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. In me, you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. All your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knitted you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. Rest in that relationship. Desire it more than anything. Simply because you are his child and he is your father. Let's pray. Father, we take just this moment to rejoice in that relationship and to rest in it. Please forgive us, Father, when we've gone our own way, when we've thought we knew better than you, when we've even at times turned our hearts away from you. Lord, we know your arms are opened wide to us. We know your desire for a relationship with us because you are our Father. And we desire to walk day by day in that intimate relationship with you because we're your children.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.